a pox of a beer or a cold libation, let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and the push, you know it's all about games. I said slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to the Nerd RPG Variety Cast. This is the first of our 2024 series on Walter Hill. Actually, it's kind of the second. We unofficially launched the series last month when Anthony, also known as Rinslinger, the Casting Shadows media empire, joined me and we talked about Streets of Fire. But this is Walter Hill's first film. And joining me to discuss it is Care King of DMD Homebrew. How are you doing tonight, Kara? Real good. How about yourself? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for joining me to discuss this. I'm excited. Love this movie. Love Walter Hill. So it's great. Great. Well, well let's talk about Walter Hill for a minute. This is, you know, the first official one in the series this year. And people may or may not, younger viewers may not be really familiar with Walter Hill. You know, it's been a few years. Well, one thing, <laughs> I was going to say it's been a few years since he's had a hit. But he's actually only had a few hits when you look at it. It's it's kind of surprising they, they let him still make movies. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I love his movies. But, you know, he has maybe maybe four movies that really made a lot of money. I, I'd well, have you to know, count them, but something like that. It's not very many. And he, he was part of the uh, Aliens franchise, mm -hmm. and uh, that made him a fortune. Uh, I knew a guy that uh, his kid went in, when I lived in L.A. to the same school that Walter Hill's kid, because this guy was a uh, worked for Columbia or something. He went to his house for like a PTA thing. I said, how was Walter Hill's house? He said, the living room was bigger than my house. That's how. So so I think Walter has a lot of cachet and a lot of film aficionados. And believe it or not, there are studio executives that love movies, mm -hmm. despite all the, you know, like the player and those kind of films. So he's respected. It's just. He complains that he can't get enough movies. And I'm thinking because he's old. And I always think, boy, you get a lot for a guy, as you say, that I don't know when the last big hit he had. Uh, and there's people that argue he makes the same Western over and over, which I don't really think is true. But I mean, his themes and everything. Uh, but, you know, he's well respected for that and for his kind of attitude that he's always had about being his own man and doing his own thing. Well, well, just r real quickly, when we when we run down it, and, and most of these movies are going to be covered later this year. But if we go down in order, and, and I'm just counting the movies that he actually directed, not not ones that he produced or kind of was associated with in some way or another. But so another 48 Hours is his biggest grossing movie. 48 Hours is the next. Then we have Brewster's Millions, and then we have The Warriors, and The Warriors is only 22 million, and so. You know, those are now this one made uh, interesting enough. This one's on the list and it probably should be. This one actually made quite a bit of money. It, it was 2.7 to produce it and it made 26. So that, but this is one of his, you know, bigger hits. But this was a time when they were letting screenwriters get in that wanted to get behind the camera, get in, get behind the camera. And that was due to a, a, a guy that was over in AIP. Lawrence um, Gordon, I believe. Yes. Yep. Exactly. He had done the same thing for John Millions. And mm -hmm. when he did Dillinger, you, you know, he let him write and, and direct Dillinger because it'd be cheaper. Let, you know, you don't have to pay the director as much if you're letting them do the same thing. And especially to get off the ground. And um, so but they the, gave him a The big thing well, was go to get the stars because he had yeah. to get, he needed stars for this. You know, he'd taken this, I believe, from a short story. And then uh, no, it, rewrote it with us, Brian Gindoff. But mm -hmm. or no, was that right? The somebody. Well, I, well no. So this was yeah. This was an idea Gordon had, and some other screenwriters had written it up. That okay. Haven't done a whole. I don't think they did anything else really. But but it was written up as a as a a modern period thing. So it'd be a 1970s story of this traveling street fighter, and and then Hill and Gindoff got and, and rewrote it and set it in New Orleans during the Depression, which was genius. 
because it adds so much to the movie yeah and new orleans is a is a character in this film Mm -hmm. but i would say you know hill's reputation he wrote uh mcintosh man which is not a great Mm -hmm. movie but i think uh john houston directed it and i believe houston liked him and disliked him because he was a lot like john houston right he was his own guy and it irritated him but he also respected him for it then he wrote the getaway Mm -hmm. took the jim thompson book which is a fantastic book but made it into a just a great one of these b movie that almost is a and obviously has steve mcqueen and in the macintosh man i believe it was uh paul newman so he knew a lot of people right because the thing was he had to impress he had to bring this little script and this little thing to charles bronson james coburn and he talks about having to impress charlie bronson who was a very difficult person for a whole variety of reasons I, there's a kurt russell story i don't know if we have time but no, go ahead. Go, go he was ahead working on a TV show, The Travails of Something, Jimmy McAllister or something, and uh, they hired Charles around the early 60s to be the wagon master later in the series. And Kirk Russell heard it was Charlie Bronson's birthday. And everybody was afraid of Charles Bronson at this the early 60s. Mm-hmm. He was crazy, right? So he gave him a gift. I don't remember what it was. It's You can find the clip. I think it's on like Jimmy Kimmel or something. And Bronson looked at it and just walked away. And everyone's like, oh, man, now you've made him mad. So he came back a day later and he said, I grew up incredibly poor and I never got a birthday gift. So thank you. So then he found out when Kurt Russell's birthday and he gave him a skateboard. And they were and Kurt was skating around the set. And then he got they said, you can't skateboard on the set. And Charles Bronson went to the president of CBS and said, we're going to let this kid skateboard. The guy said, OK. So one of those stories where he was known even in the industry as being very difficult to work with. So Hill was scared. Yeah, well, and and Hill didn't even necessarily want him initially. So Hill wanted Warren Oates for the Coburn role for Speed. And, you know, the Wikipedia says Jan Michael Vincent for the um, Cheney role. I've heard some other stories, too, but the studio wanted stars for this movie. So I think the studio kind of put Bronson and um, Coburn in here. And Bronson, because Bronson's 52 at this point, and Bronson is a big moneymaker in Hollywood. He's getting a million bucks a, a picture. Yes, and, and so and the worry was Bronson would be too old for this, but actually Bronson, this is a great role by this. Arguably, might be his his last great one of his last great roles, right before he kind of really gets in the B movie kind of stuff. There, there may be a couple other really good roles after this. I, I'm definitely willing to to go to bat for for a couple things he's done since after this movie. But you know, he's still at his high point at this point, right? And um, and he he devolved into the. Uh, uh, like uh, Death Wish and all Death Wish stuff, and you know, he and Lee J. Cobb, who was a friend of Mm -hmm. his director, also devolved. You know, times had changed, and you were just trying to make money. They had mansions and divorces and all that stuff, right? So they were making these movies. You're right, and he's perfect for this. Even though everyone says, "Hey, old timer," you're watching it. You know, seeing him and thinking, "Yes, he he would be." There's an unrealism to this, which is also like. To me, the dying West was a thing that fascinated filmmakers of this period, the old West in like mm-hmm. 1900 to about the Mexican Revolution or World War One, and this whole thing, too. And he represents this dying guy that wanders the rails in the 30s. And once you had World War Two in the modern world, these people were gone. So there's something about him being this last guy hanging in there. That's really great. Yeah. It, and and he is the, the one negative that Hill said with Bronson in this. Or the big so Bronson comes with two negatives. One is, you know, he's not really a people person, so he doesn't like you said he doesn't really expect people to talk to him. Which Hill did okay with that, but but Bronson got you know out of breath really quickly. So you know he could film like you know like forty seconds or maybe a minute of of, of a scene, and then he have to stop and catch his breath again. So and if you see the film, it's cut that way. You know, it's yeah. cut in that very much and and very well. Again, this is Walter Hill's love of, and it's fascinating too because his influences were people like uh, Raoul Walsh mm-hmm. and um, uh, uh, I can't believe I can't think of the, the fake oh, well, guy that well, did Rio um, Dablo, uh, Howard Hawks, yeah, Howard Hawks, people and, like that from the thirties, yeah. right? And and John Huston, but but mm-hmm. the guys that made these sparse, well, and and, you know, and he'd work, you know, Peck and Paul. I mean, you can't yes. leave Peck and Paul out, absolutely, so. and and Peck and Paul's. You know, he he loved the cast of characters that Peckinpah, Warren Oates, and Struther mm-hmm. Martin, of course, is a famous Peckinpah yep. 
uh, company member. And uh, so he and and he loved to do that. And, you know, that that idea of these set piece takes and stuff where he would show you the scenery, the scenery becomes such a part of this film of New Orleans and the 30s. Yeah. And and some credit, we we definitely need to give credit to the cinematographer too, Philip Lanthrop, who who had done tons of things. He'd been working for years before this. But, you know, obviously he plays plays a a role in that too. But but it, it is. It's it's very well shot. It it looks great. Still looks good today. The music is well picked. It it you know we it it fits it. It I I don't think that when I mentioned there's some pacing pro. Uh, well, b- before we started, we and we'll get into this. The mm-hmm. pacing of the movie. It's it's just over. It's ninety three minutes. So it's you know just over an hour and a half. And there are a couple parts maybe we'll, we'll talk about the editing maybe when we're done. But okay. But all in all, I th- I think it's put together really well. It you, you know it's that Depression era, and I and they luckily New Orleans at that time, no doubt they found plenty of places you know looked appropriate, you know hadn't changed, mm-hmm. and the the I think all the casting was great. I don't think there's one bad performance in this movie. I think they you, you know you've got a great group of actors. We mentioned Bronson, um, James Coburn, of course, like like you mentioned is kind of near in the end of his well i mean he didn't die till 2002 but he was you, you know kind of over the hill as an actor and frustrated that in fact there are stories where coburn would try to take over from hill and try to set up scenes and say no the camera needs to be over there and this and that and bronson apparently came to water hill's defense and coburn backed down i guess there's one point where coburn and hill were yelling at each other at the set and and bronson took hill's side and, and remember, back. Walter Hill is 32 years old. This was yeah. released in 75, but I believe shot in 74. I'm not sure the exact. So he's either 32 or 33 years old. And he's yeah. directing. And James Coburn is telling him, who's worked on all these famous movies for many, many years, you got to do this, you got to do that. And he's fighting him, you know, tooth and nail, because he's like, this is my chance. Mm-hmm. And again, when Charlie Bronson's on your side, you know, that's a good start, right? He also had to control Struther Martin talking about his histrionics and mm-hmm. and all these guys when you got a 32 year old young director like that the tendency i think is to overact or bring it all you know to just or to let yourself go you're not going to be told what to do and he had to do that right mm-hmm. and uh, the other thing was jill ireland who looks great as always and and what was charles bronson's wife and that was part of his deal he, he wanted to do movies with her which he did a whole bunch yeah. telethon i think she was in the don siegel oh, great Dumb yeah. movie. I don't know if she was in that. Maybe not. She, she said, "Yeah, he demanded at, as soon as once he could, because he was. I think the Great Escape is what he's on with McKellum, where she was McKellum's David McKellum's wife, and then she yeah. ended up. But they, they ended up separating. But anyway, she married Bronson, and they stayed married. You know, the, to the, the end of his life until the death, till she. Uh, yeah, either he died or she. Or no, died. she died of she had she breast died cancer. First. Died yeah, young. Yeah. yeah. But but she actually. So she kind of got it, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. She kind of got gets a bad rap from hill here but she does a good perform she does well in here and she is a talented actress she kind of gets a bad rep that well bronson made directors put her in the movies and he did so a lot of times they had to write parts for her and a lot of times the parts that were written for her weren't very good but it's not that she didn't have the ability to act because she was a a pretty good actress and, and you go back and look she's classically trained actress and you, you know in, english actress um, and but, she could do stage parts, which is always yeah. the true test mm-hmm. that a lot of Charles Bronson was not appearing on stage, you know, or right. something. So but, uh, I don't even know if James Colburn and those guys were, they were movie star type guys. So yes, yeah, she, she brings she, a um, gravitas to this tiny, this small role mm-hmm. that I think really helps this film because we need an outside perspective, uh, which uh, James Colburn's girlfriend does not bring. She's just right. part of this world. She even though it's really interesting when you look at it again, her, a lot of her stuff was cut cut out, which made Bronson Bronson had a big falling out after this with Walter Hill. But Hill was going for something else, and Hill was never good with, in my humble opinion, in relationships between men and women. He had this whole. If you look at the driver, uh, if you look at some a lot of other things that uh, he just wants to even push them out of the way, you know, or out of, out of sight, um, because. It just wasn't his forte, I guess. But so in here, she brings something to this that uh, 
you know, is appreciated, especially when you when you watch this from today's eyes. Well, 100 percent. And it's a shame because a lot of their scene, the scenes between Bronson and um, Joe Ireland got cut. And that's why he got angry, because he said some of the best acting was in, in those scenes that were cut and left. And, and we don't know because we haven't seen those. But like there were also like three fights that were cut out of this movie as well. But we have him buying groceries and we have him just moping around his apartment. Right. So it's one of those things that, you know, I we need a scene of him in the apartment. Yeah. And having the cat in the apartment, and all that, and, you know, that's important. But we could have had a little bit less time there. We probably could have skipped the the whorehouse altogether for, um, you know, speed going to the because that didn't. I, I mean, yeah, it shows how he spends waste money and does this and that. But if we'd skipped all that, maybe we could have got a little more of Ireland in here and got a little better grasp of that character, I think. Right. And and I guess, should we, should we discuss the plot? Maybe we can yeah. do it without spoilers. I'm not sure, but, but uh, probably it, does I, it matter? No, I don't think it matters. Um, we're going to spoil the movie. I, I think typically with these movies, we always spoil them and people can okay. find this movie. It's easy enough to find. And I don't know that there's, it, it's not like there's no big surprise or anything. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. The, the one thing I was going to say is, the and I meant to say this earlier, but with Joe Ireland, I think she she gets painted unfairly with Charles Bronson, you know, forcing them to hire for roles. She kind of gets pigeoned in like Sandra Locke did with Clint Eastwood, right? And where I and not to talk bad about Sandra Locke, but Ireland, I think was a much better actress. She's no so, Jill Ireland. Let's just yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. So where, but I think people see that same relationship, that same thing going on, but it's. But really, it's unfair to Joe Ireland when 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 you compare that. So. And her, you know, she had her own hairstylist for this, some exclusive mm-hmm. person, which you can tell. And there's a little bit of she's playing this. Where is this incredibly elegant woman doing in this seedy milieu? <laughs> it's a little bit of that. And why does she go for Charles? She manages to to convince us that she mm-hmm. could be the fallen woman type. Um, but there is an element. So that's an added thing. Like if you're watching this movie and you say, oh, Charlie got Jill in and look, she's totally out of place here, whatever you're going to wait for. Whereas if she it was an unknown, I think you'd be more like, oh, look at this. It's interesting. They cast this woman who what's her past about what's going on here? Because she's a prostitute, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Or well, she, at no, least well, at the end. So, so her that's husband's in jail. She she says her. Oh, there you go. Her husband's in jail. And so she's, I mean, trying to just get by and. At that point in time, you know, part of the getting by is being a kept woman, right? And and that's kind of the way she went. But then we see by the end of the movie, you know, she finds somebody else that's a better ticket, better meal ticket than Charlie Bronson is, because he's kind of right. transient and all this. And and so she had kind of moved past him. And that kind of helps his decision at the end of the movie after he sees that, because he sees she's moved on. And then he, you know, he, he makes a decision to to do, do what he does at the end of the movie, which we'll, we'll hit here. Okay, when we get let's, there, we but, should yeah. uh, let's go over that the plot because I was going to say something about why Charles. I was just going to say he doesn't give her much, op, you know, reason to stay, which is no, an interesting choice they made. <laughs> Maybe those scenes would have given us more, but yeah, or, or, or cut. You, you know, you cut that subplot out altogether and just have have him as the loner. You, you know that that was the right. only way you could do it. The mysterious. But, well, if we start the way this movie starts, which is mm-hmm. you're in the 30s railroad you see this guy that's like a hobo and he gets off the the train with his little sack and he walks in uh to town i i think does he go right to the first fight at this point and meet yeah he either knows i don't so i so it starts in texas um i i believe i don't they're not in new orleans i don't believe oh okay because they they take a train ride to get to they're they're somewhere else they're not in new orleans at the beginning yeah he gets off the train and he, I don't know if he knew where the fight was. These are, so these are what we would call underground fights today. These aren't sanctioned matches, but basically, you, you, you know, just street fights where people are betting on them and, 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 you know, bare knuckle fighting. That's what it is. In, in fact, this was released over, this is originally, the script was called the street fighter and over in England, it was released under the title, the street fighter, but so, but anyway, it's still big. It was still big yeah. illegal street fighting in England, bare mm-hmm. knuckle fighting it, through the 70s. There were celebrity bare knuckle and the, and the authorities because it is illegal. And I believe the old rules used to be no biting or eye gouging, but anything else is legal, right? So you see kicking, 
know, it's yeah. it's a street fight. It's right. which is cool because you know there's you, and you see those elements of that, and then you see the code of this, mm-hmm. you know, right away. And this code comes in, you know, when he meets uh, Colburn, he goes to this mysterious street fight, like it's hidden away, and he watches Colburn's earlier fighter who loses. And you get a sense of what this is all about. These guys are street fighting. There's guys all around. They're betting back and forth and yelling and screaming. And Bronson is just watching. And then when they make their arrangement, uh, you right away start to see that Bronson operates by this code. And uh, this code will become part of what sustains the film in a way, right? It's the spine that's built, that everything is built on about who violates the code and who adheres to the code. Well, and we well, that, see people go back and forth all through. Yeah, that's the thing, because Bronson is our our straight guy throughout this whole thing. You know, he comes in, he finds the fight, he sees that Speed, Coburn's character, is the, the you, you know, he's the manager. And and so he finds him after the fight, and and he offers to pay. He has $6, it's all he has, Bronson's character does. And he, and he give, gives Coburn that money, he says, here, you know, here's $6, you know, set up a fight, bet the $6 on me and see, I'll show you what I can do. So he's paying his way. He's paying his own admission to this. And, and he knocked, and, you know, they, so Coburn goes, sets up another fight with, with the guy that just beat his, I, I think it's with the same fighter that, that beat Coburn's other fighter, but, but either way, right. he sets up another fight and uh, Charles Bronson one shots this guy and Coburn's ecstatic because now he has a fighter. So he has all these dreams in his head. We're going to do this, this, and this. And they get on the train. They take the train to New Orleans. They're met by Coburn's what wife, his lady, I don't know. His, his girlfriend. Yeah. Girlfriend, whatever she is. He, uh, which, I mean, she does a fine. She does fine. Um, yes. The actress does. It, it's not that she does anything. Yeah, she's also the girlfriend in the credits. Mar- Margaret Ply. It, it's not her performance that's a problem. It's just she isn't given anything due other than you know, hang out. Yeah. She, yeah. she's at the final when he, when he, when he loses it, but that's what well, we can talk about that. Yeah. What's interesting there is so, so, you know, it costs a lot more to, you can't come in with $6 and have a fight. Mm-hmm. Right. So Coburn has to come up with uh, some money for this. I can't remember if it's, this is where he borrows it or it's later. Well, because so they go, yeah, they, they go watch. I think they, they, maybe they go watch a fight at first or maybe goes borrows the money. I, I think you're right. I think he goes borrows the money first because he knows what's going on so he goes right. to these local bookies including one that's actually crispin glover's father who <laughs> is the yeah. actor who famously one. was in uh one of the two uh gay uh hitmen in diamonds are forever yeah yeah that's one of his roles yeah, Bruce <laughs> so yeah, the people out there right. have seen that movie he's one of those two guys so and and he's very recognizable when you see him mm-hmm. yeah and and he goes to them and he he, he borrows a thousand dollars because that's how much it costs to get in to get into this fight and, and it's it's like a hundred dollars a day interest it's, it's yeah. some it, i mean it's you, you know these are high stakes right mm-hmm. and and so they go to this fight and they watch this fight and the so this is chick is the the local guy that owns the fight fighter rich guy and owns the fighter but the fighter is robert tessier and people are going to recognize him big big bald actor um in lots of things so if, if you see a picture of him, you'll say, oh, yeah, I recognize him in all kinds of different parts. And uh, he was in The Deep. If you yeah. remember that great, mm-hmm. great B movie and other, you know, Peter yeah. Yates and all these people kind of slumming. But it's really entertaining. Super good. Yeah. Well, folks here have seen The Sword and the Sorceries and that. He's one of the bikers in the Cannibal Run. Um, he, he's in tons of things. Um, but, you know, and he just pretty easily beats this guy that he's fighting. And. Coburn comes on just a little bit too strong after the fight when he tries to buy Bronson a chance and Chick is, you know, worried that there's a ringer. So he tells him, no, it's going to cost you $3,000 for the fight. So now Coburn's in trouble because he doesn't have enough money. He's got this huge interest building up, you know? And so what he, so what they do is he sets up this fight out in the bayou, but before they go to do that, what happens if your fighter gets beat up or nicked up in a fight? Well, somebody has to take care of him. And here's where we meet Poe, played by Struther Martin, who our listeners that aren't familiar with these films of this era, you've seen clips of him because he's the warden in Cool Hand Luke. 
That, that might be his most famous yes. thing to a modern audience, right? We have but, a failure to communicate. Yeah, but he's a great <laughs> actor on his own right. I mean, he, he really is. And he, he has a tough role in this, right? Because we have Bronson is the strong, silent type. Coburn is your your face man, right? He's he's out yep. and gregarious, and you know. So, ha- what does Struther Martin do? He's he's great because he's a dope fiend who fell out of medical. He made it through two two years of medical school before the black cloud rolled in, right? <laughs> what, what a great! It's term. interesting. I would say I think before they have this fight that they set up with the guy that had beat up uh, Coburn's protege, mm-hmm. and that's when when. Uh, he wins. Coburn says, well, I'm going to give you more than $6. And he says, oh, no, no, I bet $6. I got 12 yeah. now. And you see right away, Cheney, which is Bronson's character, has this code. I'm not taking more. I bet six. If you've ever seen that movie, uh, The Point Blank, they did a remake of it. He wants his hundred. At one point, the mobsters are like, I'll pay you this amount of money to go away. And he goes, I want my hundred thousand. Right. That's mm-hmm. what was taken from me. That's what I want. And that sets this thing up. Okay, go ahead. So now we're out in the bayou. This is such a great, right. you know, the, the 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 atmosphere and everything is great. And the code comes in again. Yeah. And like I said, we we've got Poe with him now. We got the doctor with him. And and he brings brings the girlfriend, you know, Coburn brings the girlfriend with him. They drive out, you know, it's nice. They're playing music, you know, having a party. There's a caged black bear there that they have on display, you know. But the Which Cheney comes- watches. Remember yeah. that scene? Because that's what he feels like. Like he's mm-hmm. in this very good, this animal, this thing being, you know, it's yeah. great. It, although it's almost like, um, shoot, nah, that, now I'm in brain fade. What, what, Chekhov. It's almost Chekhov's bear. It's like you, you almost expect something to happen with a bear, but yes. we, we don't see the bear again. Right. But yeah, so they, they had the fight and Bronson wins. It's not a one shot. I mean, they actually, you know, go back and forth. But Bronson wins the fight, and when they go to collect their money, well, they're not going to pay up. <laughs> and they're and, surrounded by their in this guy's backyard kind of thing with all his thugs, and they all have guns. And he goes, "What are you going to do?" And Coburn is furious, and Charles just Char- Charlie diffuses it. Ch- uh, Cheney's his name mm-hmm. says, "Let's go." Yeah. But then they get in the car, and he says, "Let's just drive around a while." Right. But, but and that, you you skipped over the great line from Struther Martin when the guy pulls the gun out. He goes, "Somebody always brings a gun." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it uh, escalates it. You know, yeah. takes it to to that. We can't be gentlemen here. Right, right. And, and but it is only one person we see with a revolver in this. It's, it's not a whole bunch. It's just the Which one makes guy. a difference, right? Yeah, because because they drive around some, but then they end up going because this the guy. Who was running, ru- running this, is this fight? Yeah, Pettibone. He he has a bar, and so they end up going to his bar, and they they coordinate it. So Bronson sneaks around back, either Coburn or Poe. I forget which. One of them throws something through the front window, and as the front went, as soon as the window breaks, Bronson rushes through the back door while nobody's looking behind him because they're all looking at the window. He grabs the guy with the gun, gets the gun away from him, and he beats up all the thugs in the bar. And he points. Uh, and the it's gun so at great. Yeah, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. He says, "He says now I got the gun because the yeah. guy Pettibone says I got the gun here. That's why because he said that ain't fair or whatever. And he goes, I got the because he says I earned that money, Cheney. So yeah. now he says I got the gun. But then he does the one man wrecking crew while Coburn and Poe watch mm-hmm. and beats everyone. And he challenges the guy that he'd beaten earlier in the day to fight him, and the guy just says no. Right. Takes the guy's money and then says, do you own this place? The guy says, yeah. And he shoots up the bar and then they get in the car and drive off. And it's such a classic. But the idea that Cheney can take on this whole bar by himself is, you know, it's cool. It's like uh, it, and it's done. It's done in this realistic style. Right. The editing uh, spot mm-hmm. is what is really good. The way it, the way it all kind of choreographs. Yeah. And it's interesting. Maybe we'll take a, a minor diversion here. One thing that Waterhill decided to do with this movie is you don't see a whole lot of blood in this movie. We'll see a little bit, but not much at all. Not nearly as bloody as a modern movie would be, or maybe Peck and Paul made it, or you, you know, or as bloody as you would expect with bare knuckle boxing. But Hill intentionally downplayed the blood because he felt it took away from the fights. And this isn't the only time he'd make this kind of decision. He intentionally, with Streets of Fire, which I discussed with somebody else last month, I discussed with Anthony, 
you know, the violence was intentionally downplayed in Streets of Fire as well because he wanted to play up the rock and roll fairy tale kind of aspects of that movie. He didn't want to have a bunch of people killed and, and shot and all that. So that's why they're shooting motorcycles and things, but they're not, you know, shooting people in that movie for the most part. Um, so and he felt he, like that changed things in a way mm-hmm. that um, the modern sensibility just doesn't doesn't equate. Right. So you'd just be yeah. like, why is there no blood? And, you know, so that's it's an interesting choice he made. And also as known as Mr. Action Guy, Mr. Right. Brutal Violence Guy. You know, this was considered a very violent film in its day. And today mm-hmm. it looks tame. Yeah. But the fight scenes are like you mentioned, they're, they're well choreographed. They, they look great. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, it's not just boxing. You know, there are. They'll kick each other and do other things. And it's, you, you know, it's interesting. I was actually a little surprised when the, the first time I ever watched this and, and you see that kick go up. You're like, wait, what, what are they doing? I thought back then they just went around and punched each other. But no, they're, you know, they're going at it. Um, it it's yeah, well there's done. no Marquis, uh Queensberry rules or whatever here. This is a street fight. And which is the MMA kind of took it. It almost started with tough man contests and whatever. Mm-hmm. So. But then after they do that, suddenly they they're they're now able to, I think, get the big fight at this point with um, mm-hmm. with uh, this a chick. Well, chick's guy. And, um, yeah. Tessie. Yeah. yeah Tessie. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is where he has to get more money. And then <laughs> so you're thinking this is the climax of the movie. We saw Tessie fight earlier on. Now we have the fight. Bronson wins the fight. They get this money. Well, it, but but it's a it's and one thing about this fight with Tessie, not only is it a really good fight, it we is we just saw this poor bear in a cage. This fight's a cage match. Again, yes. we're talking New Orleans, right? But no, it's a cage match. They you know they set everything up and they lock them in the cage. <laughs> yeah, and they have the crowd up in the. Um, uh, this is a classic uh, Walter Hill sort of set up where they've got tiers in this building. It's some mm-hmm. kind of a grain elevator. Or I don't know what it is. And they've got them all around. Like So you've got three layers of people cheering guys, you know, all tough looking working class type guys. Because I think he did a prison movie where they had a boxing match in a prison years later. Mm-hmm. And he did this. He had the same kind of setup. You know, he's he likes that. He loves like abandoned warehouses. If you see some of his other movies, very yep. You know, and I think the first 48 hours had a little of that. The 48 hours mm-hmm. ones are I, they're enjoyable. But again, he's he made so many better movies in my mind. But but that's another story. Yeah. So, Undisputed yeah, that, is this other boxing movie. Oh, uh, yeah. The boxing yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So they but they win the fight and they come in or, you know, they open the gate. Coburn comes in. And um, what we see is Coburn or speed, you know, he gets paid and then he starts talking smack. You know, he, he gets too big for his britches, and this is a problem he has. We, we've seen this before, a little bit before with him, but he just really, he he really gives them hell. And you can see that, you, you know, Poe and Cheney want to get out of there, but but Speed's, you know, talking trash. They they leave, split the money up, and then Speed goes and blows his money. They go, well, they, we got, well, we have this party. Let's talk about the party, because this is one of Strother Martin's best... <laughs> This is great. Yes. <laughs> Where he's reciting. So he's with a woman. I don't know whether I, she has to be like a, a paid date or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, paid or, date. She doesn't yeah. seem like a prostitute as much because she has yeah. kind of some funny lines about him quoting, you know, Shakespeare or whatever. And he's clearly this educated Southerner. He's very much the grandfather of uh, Jack Nicholson's character in Easy Rider. Yeah. The Southern gentleman lawyer, Rue, you know, yeah. who's got some addiction and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when and, he goes, he tells her, you know, have you heard Poe's, you know, and he names it, I forget what Palm he, he relates her. And she goes, no, but I, I think I'm about to. <laughs> oh, and and we see the three women and the three men. Mm-hmm. And yet the the relationships are obviously Struthers isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, I think the um, uh, what's her name that. Uh, her name in this is uh, Gaylene wants to be with speed but soon enough she's going to leave right after the scene because she realizes and not appear again he's he's right. a loser you know mm-hmm. and then of course uh jill lyle and his lucy is just there you know she makes some remarks i can't remember but it's interesting because it's kind of a domestic scene mm-hmm. in a sleazy you know <laughs> setting but, but, go ahead 
Yeah, well, I was going to say, it, right, but, well, because they're dancing, they're like dance, I don't know, they're out, at, you know, partying out in town at a club, but Speed ends up upstairs where the gambling is, and he's doing craps, and he's losing, and he's losing, and, and he, he blows his whole chunk of the money, you know? And he, then, because of that, the people that he loaned the money to come back, right? It pays mm-hmm. off, they're going to beat him up. And the guy chick says, I'll tell you what, I'll let you out of your debt, but I want to buy Cheney. Well, I'll just well, give you like, yeah, isn't that right? I mean, I no, no, you're right. It. You're right. You, you're, I was, I was going to mention, I, I want to hit the, where they shake him down first before that, before that happens. So at, at first they come, they come around and Frank McRae, you, you know, from the Chicago bears, you know, who actually had a great acting career. He was, yes. so he's, he's the captain in 48 hours. He might be the original angry captain who when you have buddy cop films the captain that yep. yells at the buddy cops i think frank mccray was here was the or he might be the start of that i'm not sure but he definitely does that in 48 hours and he's in a bunch of other movies actually but you know he, he had started with the chicago bears but but he's the guy that brings a hammer and beats up the car speed's car with the hammer and, right. and and then the other time is when speed's getting his shoes shined and and he comes up in six ne- Doty, or not Doty, um it, it's um Crispin Glover's dad C- comes yeah. in and he, and, he, and he sits next to him and and he he kind of crunches his hand a little bit and he tells you know he tells him you you know you you need to pay us you need to sell your sister you need to do whatever you need to do but you need to pay us <laughs> and and they they're yeah, really those heavy scenes, on him right and those are preludes it's kind of yeah. keeps him as a constant presence in case we've forgotten and mm-hmm. in case he's forgotten because because he's a bad you know again he blew all his money he should have just paid these guys off you don't want to have these loan sharks on you but speed has this issue right he's a gambler yeah. he's a and so they go and they try to buy chick the big promoter buy cheney and i and speed's like well you know i'm gonna get five grand and i got my run with cheney but of course charles bonson being charles bronson says i don't like you i don't, don't want to work for you and he just leaves yeah he says we it. don't need you and yeah. because he doesn't know about the gambling issues, he doesn't yes. realize how how bad it is. And of course, now this puts Speed in a horrible predicament. And yep. and basically, Speed ends up confronting uh, Cheney and telling him, you, you know, this is you know, you owe me, you you have to do this. And he tries to put a guilt trip on him, which doesn't work because Bronson's like, I don't know you shit. <laughs> you, I don't know you anything. I upheld my part. It's not my fault. You blew your money. You know, we're done. And and he walks. And there's off. a great loner aspect because at the same time, Jill Ireland, as Lucy is saying to Bronson, "I can't be with someone that just comes and comes and goes." And he's like, "Okay." And she's mm-hmm. like, "You gotta, you gotta give me something here. You gotta tell me what, what, what are you doing?" In a similar way as Speed says to him, right now yeah. on the Speed hand, we're like, "Well, that guy, he's lucked into Charles Bronson. Who cares?" But Lucy, in a traditional movie between men and women, you'd be like, "This guy's got to come up," and he just kind of goes, "Okay." She mm-hmm. says, "Well." I don't like this. And he just takes his hat, puts it on, walks out the door. He's not interested in that for whatever reason. So we logically, we think he's also not interested with speed until speed gets kidnapped right, by the mobsters who say either you fight. And of course, the great thing where uh, Chick brings in an outside fighter who he seems like an Englishman. I I, I couldn't quite tell. I don't think so. It's Nick Dimitri. Who's a he's a stunt man. And he was in this. This is his most famous acting role. But he w- he was a, a double for like Sean Connery and William Smith, and he was in stuff th- for a long time. He's in, in tons of stuff. He he. But he's a a pretty a, a well regarded stuntman in the industry. He ended up working with Schwarzenegger, Stephen Scott later on. The Norlis tapes, which we mentioned last time, he has a role in there. Um, maybe for some of my listeners, his most famous thing is that he was married to Christy Hartberg whose professional name was Christina Cummings, who starred in Russ Meyer's Super Vixens. But, <laughs> but he actually comes in, but this is a big acting role of all those roles he did. But Dimitri actually does, a, he's a good job here. He comes in as a heavy, and there's this great scene when he gets off the train, when they meet him. And Chick is there, and um, Tessier is there. Tessier, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Dimitri comes up, and he goes to hand his, his suitcase to Tessier, and Tessier goes, I don't do that. And Chick looks at him, and Tessie has to take the suitcase because he realizes he's gone from number one man now to now he's just a a lower lackey because he lost the fight. And this is the code of you know if you lose, 
You, there's no sympathy for you. There's no, uh, oh, well, you've been around a while. It's nope, you lose. That's the way it works, right? Yeah. In in this world now, I would say that Cheney's code, if he respected you or whatever, he wouldn't make guys, he wouldn't humiliate someone that way. I don't believe. Right. Again, he doesn't give us much. Maybe I'm, I'm grasping at that, but I feel like that that is there. Uh, as a counterpoint to that chick is all about, he doesn't have any loyalty to anyone. It's all about the dollar. Uh, and I think speed in his way, he does have a, some loyalty. I think he's not as bad as chick, you know, mm-hmm. um, but that, that they're, they're, it, as you watch these different scenes, those little touches like that are so central to this, to the idea behind this film. Right. So we, we've seen, so, so one thing we, we haven't touched on, but you see throughout this, Cheney is kind of doing his loner existence every now and then he's going to, to, to see Joe Ireland's character, but he has his little apartment. He has a cat in the apartment. And uh, so he brings it milk and stuff, but, but Poe comes and visits him now and tells him we're in trouble. And Cheney goes, we're not in trouble. <laughs> it's, you know, he goes, I'm not, he is, well, speed is in trouble. He's well, speed's no relation to me anymore. But, and, but Poe kind of gives him the story and lets him know they're going to kill him kill speed if he doesn't do anything and the Cheney's the only one that can save him and um because chicks kidnaps him and just says mm-hmm. you better get your guy to fight my my new guy and yeah. you don't think he just says when poe leaves and so poe just goes to the warehouse where they're holding uh speed and he doesn't know whether he's going to show up and we see him lying on his bed he's broken it off with jill what's he going to do and he decides he picks up his suitcase and whatever. And uh, Hill draws out the tension as long as he can with this shot of this bay door to this factory. But of course, and we all know this, it's not really a spoiler. Charlie Bronson shows up and just says, let's do this. Yep. And then Poe does a great thing. He was the one, obviously, that threw the thing through the window in that one scene at Pettibones because he throws the thing yeah. through the window of the office to well, say, let's get going here. It's great. Yeah, because because intermixed in this, we've seen Speed being he's being held in the office in this warehouse, and it's like this warehouse where they shuck oysters because they're big piles of oyster shells. They're, they're you, you know or clam shells or something. But right, but but they're holding him in the office, which is on the second like second story. It's like a like a garage with with the office up on one side, and but Tessier and these other guys are up there, and and they're kind of talking like who's going to kill Speed, and Tessier is like I hope. Cheney doesn't show up because I'm looking forward to ki- killing him. <laughs> and they're playing cards with Speed, but Speed knows that that he's a goner if the, you know if this doesn't doesn't happen. And you know, Tessier, he's insulted Tessier throughout this film. Yep. And Tessier is not just going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tessier is going to beat him to death. And it's a great. And he retains and he takes the go. Let's just play some cards. And, he, and Speed just flips all the cards in the air to ruin the game. And they all have this collective like. Ah, because, which is a great little moment of humanity in there, and even if he's going to get beaten to death by by Tessier, he's not going to give him the satisfaction. So right. he, he retains again; he retains his own code that these other guys can't. Well, as we'll see, some of them actually do kind of rise to the occasion. But mm-hmm. so now we're having this—we have our true climax of our movie, where Bron- Charlie shows up and he's going to fight this guy. Uh, his name is Street, yeah, and. Yeah. We have our bad, and, and again, uh, when you look at the two side by side, you think, well, Charlie's gonna old or whatever, but we know at this point what a great fighter he is, and they do have a really good fight in this, just with a few guys watching mm-hmm. all of our principles. That's another thing that's really interesting about this. Now we're down to who matters here. You've got the lone sharks, you've got Speed and Poe, you've got uh, Chick, uh, Tessier is watching. And that's kind of it. It's just, you know, this is what it's all about. We're going to have this fight for this money. And it, it almost doesn't make sense. You you would want to promote this. They want to make some money off it. But it's a movie, right? It's yeah. like all about honor, all about, you know, speed broke the code. So, you know, that's why we held him prisoner to have this happen. And we have this, uh, another really good fight. Yeah, this is a great fight. Eventually... Bronson gets the upper hand. He knocks Street down, and Chick, not wanting to lose, rolls over some, uh, you, you, you know, some some weights. I guess you know, iron, metal iron ingots, yeah, something like that. For for and Street to pick to put up him in his use. hand, a Street that's yeah. for cheating. Mm-hmm. And of course, Speed says no cheating. And Street shows his code. 
he whips the ingots, the lead bars aside and wants to fight Bronson fair. So we yep. see he has a coat of arms, and then Bronson proceeds to, you know, beat him to a pole. Yep. But, and there's a great scene too, where the two uh, thugs, the loan sharks, when they get their money, uh, speed looks at them and they both smile like to say you're clean and w- job well done like they've just witnessed this mm-hmm. this private spectacle this like ceremony almost of you know manhood or whatever you want to call it you could call it phony but whatever it's just it's really interesting the way everybody and even chick gives him his money although then speed can't resist and he says you're always going to smell like fish maybe that's before the fight i can't remember Remember if he's yeah, I don't know, that I, yeah, but yeah, Trick still or Speed still talks. I, I think he does say something snarky after they they win, though. Um, but yeah, he he never backs down. But they give the money. Well, the money's all given to to Cheney though. Cheney, Cheney was his stake. Yeah, it was yeah. his stake. It's just to give uh, him that freedom. Although mm-hmm. uh, the guys, okay, so Chick paid off his debt to those guys in order to. Mm-hmm. So they they just provided the muscle for the kidnapping. Right. So I think that's how it worked. And they'd already been paid off, but Chick was going to get his because he's going to get Charles Bronson as his, you know, as his fighter. Right. So, but the, so they get paid off and, you know, Charles Bronson starts walking away and, and Speed's like, well, at least let's give you a ride. And they give him a ride like to the edge of town to the rail yard. And he goes, this is far enough. They, they get out, you know, and he, you sure we can't get you to stay? No, no, I'm, I'm leaving town. You know, and he pulls out, pulls out some money. And he, and he hands a, a small wad to, to Poe, you know, hey, I've got a cat back in my apartment. Go make sure you take care of the cat. And, and then he takes a bigger wad out of his wad, or his winnings, and gives to Speed and says, take care of Poe. <laughs> and, and it's and great because no, Poe says, that's a lot of money for a cat. And then Speed says, you don't have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't now, of course, I can't remember the well, line. He says something he, like for, for somebody that, that, just wants his money you you're sure giving a lot away or something like that and um and he yeah. gets on and he leaves and they're watching him from the car and of course they're like man that guy how much money speed still thinking about how much money can i do and then poe has this great final line let's go get the cat well they're because gonna leave because they're, they're gonna leave they're gonna drive somewhere they go to florida. florida right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but he says we're gonna get the cat first because we promised him yeah, he'll never know. He'd never know. Cheney would never know. They'd never find out. But he's like, no, we're not. We're not. We're, we have a sense of honor here again. We have mm-hmm. a sense of we made that commitment, which Speed probably would have just forgotten all about it, you know. And but Poe was affected by this, you know. And we, as the audience, it's a very satisfying ending to this. Again, you've been through some kind of. I don't want to use it because it's a little uh, pretentious, but this ritual of what it means to have the code of honor. It's also a thing about the thirties as viewed and early thirties filmmaking with Hawks and Raul Walsh and all these guys that had this code of honor, this view back from the seventies, right? The sixties and seventies, everything has been torn apart. And you're looking back at this era when that's when these kind of things really existed, which of course I'm not sure they did, but that's, that's okay. Cause it's a filmic version of that, but that's right. why I think this film is so satisfying. And like you said, I think there's like five or six fights, maybe five, two of which are just watched by Bronson. Mm-hmm. And then it's amazing. There were three others. Cause I think it's a perfect number of fights. As you said, the only thing I would like to see is more of the, mm-hmm. maybe a little more domestic, but maybe that's not what Walter Hills after. I don't know. You Do you feel yeah, like there I, should have been more fights? Well, I think they, so they filmed three more fights is what I, I, I read. And I, I think they could have, Maybe even if they just did a montage of those in there, right? Even if they did that thing where, you, you yeah. know, because we're talking about like the 30s and all that. So if you did that montage where they're in the background and they have the characters superposed in the front, I don't know, maybe that'd be too cheesy. But if you did a montage of the fights and because it, the one thing kind of falls apart because we only have, we have, so with Bronson, once they get to New Orleans, he, he fights, they fight the Cajun and then they come back to town, they fight Tessier and then all the money gets blown. If they had shown, they should have. If they had shown a buildup in there and speed, also spending money, and it would also give them a little more time to have the loan sharks lean on speed in between mm-hmm. there because it's kind of compressed, you, you know. But I mean, overall, it, it's still a great movie. Don't get me wrong. It, I, we get great performances. We get great 
ambiance and atmosphere. You know, it, it feels like the depression. You know, you, you're looking these these people in the streets. You you know, this is hard times. Yeah, it's everybody but Chick is having hard times. You know, um, re really, Chick's living high on the hog. You know, because he's the rich guy. <laughs> but everybody else, for the most part, it is hard times. And you look and you see that. You know, the wh whether they're in restaurants or or wherever, it, you know, it really does a great job of helping that atmosphere. So my question for you is, or I'm sorry, I'll let you get final thoughts on this. And then I have a question. No, no, I think you summed it up well. Um, yeah. I, I often think my grandfather lived during the depression was in Northern Michigan selling, he sold machine parts and stuff. And he said, when you go to stores, you just, a lot of stores, they would just, you would give credit because they knew who you were in town and you'd, you'd buy stuff and you give credit because nobody had any money. So the store owner would just be like, I'm all my stuff, all my produce is going to go bad. So I'd give credit. And then you just paid it back when you had a chance. And he said, and most, almost everybody did pay it back because we, I owed the money. But that's what people were going through in the depression in rural areas where there was no, no work and no money and people had to eat. Right. So there's something about that. Here, here are these guys, you know, on the edge of that, trying to make a big score. Because that's, of course, the other thing about this, the big score, right? Mm -hmm. That's Now, Speed's just going to blow the big score, but he dreams of it. And that fuels films, right? Because yeah. Cheney's not going to provide the fuel for this film. He is what burns, you know, or whatever. But it's Speed. It's the dreamer. It's the, it's the catalyst. And I think that's, in terms of constructing films, really important. Well, yeah, and, and you've got a great caster. And you've got a cast that's seen hardship, right? I mean... Coburn, uh, Bronson, uh, Strother Martin, uh, you, you know, all were in World War II. Uh, Tessie fought in Korea. So, I, I mean, they, you know, they're all in the military. They all know what it's like to, to have to tighten their belts or to have to do hardships, do this stuff. So, and, and they all look the part. None of them are too pretty for their roles, right? Like you see, like nowadays you'd cast it and, and, and you'd have, you know, people that, that look out of place. You know, you have pretty boys in there and all, but not not here. You, you know, you have you have some decent looking actors, but you have interesting actors and you, and you have people that look the part. Well, and we talked about this, our last thing with the Kolchak movie. This mm -hmm. is a movie about adults doing adult things. This is a movie about people that all look like they could be all those people. Yeah. And so often in the modern thing, not, not even in a Marvel universe or something like that, just a movie about people. As you say, you have some person who's, you know, it's clear they went they went to Yale drama school. Good for them. They're a really good actor, but they have no gravitas, right? They have right. no nothing's and I'm not saying you know, most of us, hopefully most of us have had nothing bad happen. But these guys, like you said, did Charles Bronson had a very tough life, and he knows what that's like. And so that I don't know if Walter Hill particularly did. Walter and I both went to Michigan State University. He was a little bit before me, obviously, but so I don't think he had a tough life, but you know, he did some jobs. He actually went out and did some. Mm -hmm. I think oil cap. Yeah, I think he worked oil at oil fields and then he went down yeah. to Mexico for art school and he so you know he, he but, stuff, but, yeah. but he at least appreciated that and appreciated those people. That's a really great uh, uh something to think about when you watch these old movies. Yeah. So so my question for you is if you were gonna do this as a double feature, what what, what would you put put together with this? Well, I was gonna say this is a couple things came to mind because I was thinking about movies that were shot in the seventies for the of the thirties, and I was thinking of Thieves Like Us, the Altman film mm -hmm. with Keith Carradine and everything. Mm -hmm. It's a really great. It's a different kind of movie. Robert Altman is a is a dialogue guy. It's all about personal relationships, uh, yeah. you know, as opposed to something like Bonnie and Clyde or something like that. But it, it's kind of similar. But it's again that seventies vibe, looking at the thirties, which I think is interesting. And then my other choices of double feature, maybe Dillinger, the John Milius Dillinger mm -hmm. film, because. Uh, Miley's is of that same generation as Walter Hill, same sensibility. And then one that's set in the fifties, but has a similar milieu, which is fat city shot mm. in the seventies, set in the early fifties, fat city about boxers in Stockton down in their luck boxers. It's a great film. Stacy Keach in his opening yeah. role should have won yeah. the best actor, but they, you know, whatever. I mean, they, I don't know if he should have won the best actor. Marlon Brando kind of did okay that year, mm -hmm. but the point is he didn't really get recognized for that. So those would be my, double feature <laughs> none of them are particularly uplifting but uh at least dillinger's very entertaining warren oates is oh, dillinger yeah. check that film out sometime it's just great michelle pfeiffer i believe is is uh billy Frechette, the famous i think she's in that maybe i'm mistaking that uh i i don't i don't think you, you might i think it's too early for michelle pfeiffer 
No, not um, Michelle. Fe- Michelle Phillips. Michelle, Michelle Phillips. Phillips yes, the Michelle Phillips, of the Pops. Yeah. 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 And because because we have Ben Johnson as as Melvin uh, Mel- Melvin Purvis. Yeah. And ben Johnson is one of those great character actors that you know he doesn't get to lead movies all that much, but you see him in so many, especially westerns. And and I guess that's the thing with Water Hill. Every movie he makes is a western of and in he some admits, way or another. There's another one. A special mention would be the Last Picture Show, only mm. because it's Texas. When you said Ben mm. Johnson, that reminded me of that's his penultimate or his ultimate yeah. performance. Yeah, he, you know, that's a great one. That's a totally different kind of film, but still, just to to show those together, it's black and white. It's great. What would be your choices as a double feature? So I had thought about Dillinger too, but I was thinking, you know, you want to stay with a, which that takes place during the um, great depression just like this right. does takes but, but you know i think i would do I, I would want something to give a different aspect of of the great depression but i but something that's kind of gameable you know kind of fun to watch not like something really not like grapes of wrath or something that's kind of depressing right so yeah so i was thinking the emperor of the north or the emperor of the north pole i don't know if you've great seen idea. that that great great yes. movie about um hobos and catching rot, you know, with Ernest Borgnine is is the conductor trying to knock the hobos off the train. And Lee Marvin, yeah, the, one of the greats of all time. And Carradine is in that one too, is the young yeah. hobo that that is with him. Yeah, so I, I think I would pair it with that. But I, I think any of the any of those movies we mentioned would make great pairings. So, and Robert Aldrich is another guy that's had a mm-hmm. had a very interesting career. A lot of the Dirty Dozen, The Longest Yard, that uh, he did the. Uh, Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte, or the other one. Uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane? I mean, he, yeah, he yeah. a very interesting guy. Flight of the Phoenix, I think he did that, and something. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole other, and, and that's the other thing about Walter Hill is is uh, younger than him than Aldrich. He's much older, but those guys from that studio system making that transition in the sixties and seventies to this independent production and stuff. And Aldrich is one of the guys who was able to do it. Don Siegel was able to do it, and some other guys like that. Um, because think about a film, Don Siegel had some great ones. Charlie Varick is a great film that he did mm-hmm. with Walter Matthau. Nothing to do with this, although, right. again, that's like a Western. Because all yeah. those guys, Orson Welles was fascinated by Westerns. You don't think of him that way. But Sergio Leone, fascinated by Westerns. I mean, he made Westerns, but as a little kid, he was just fascinated by them, right? In Italy, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at this. And uh, so... This it, it's so it's it it runs through to our psyche. I don't know if the westerns now are not politically correct or that it has to be sort of a deal western or something like that. But 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 it, it certainly is an American invention that uh, a lot of the world really you know really enjoys as well. Oh, 100 percent, So last question, I'll let you go. I, I know we're I want to be mindful of your time. If you were going to use this as the basis of a game. And and you think about it, we've got a great party here, right? You have Speed who's our uh, he's got addiction problem with gambling addiction and and all that, but he's your face man, your fast talker, has the connections. We have Poe cuz you need a doctor in the group, right? And of course he has his addiction problem too. And and then you have um Charles Bronson, you know, Cheney as, as your fighter type cuz somebody always wants to just play the fighter. So you you have a great party here. What what game what would you use if you're going to run some kind of adventure? Well, the, the interesting, because I've thought about this, you know, because you had mentioned, oh, I mean, if we're going to talk about this. Yeah, I, I don't want to blindside you. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I really did think, like, it's in the 30s. So one of the things, there's a Call of Cthulhu without the weirdness kind of a thing, an investigation game. And, uh, you know, you do have some combat abilities, especially if it's, uh, but again, you pull out weapons in that system and, you know, you're in trouble, like any type system. So I also thought of things like, um, I think Savage Worlds is a game that you mm-hmm. can play in different genres, right? They have modules for that. Because if you're going to play it in 30s, right? You're not, you're playing this in right. the Great Depression era. I'm not familiar with GURPS, but I know GURPS supposedly you could do multiple genres. Because what you're looking for is something you can translate over to me so that it is a modern type, you know, it's in the 30s, mm-hmm. but it's a role-playing game that works in terms of those goals. But but what were some of your thoughts on that? So Call, Call of Cthulhu is the, the obvious one because, you, you know, it's 20s, but obviously that goes to 30s. Uh, I kind of thought about Daredevils, which probably not too many people have ever played. You, you, you might have played it or might be familiar with it. It's old Fantasy I've Games Unlimited game. Yeah, I've heard of it, 80s. but I don't... It, it's, it's also it's crunchier than people would like. <laughs> but 
But you know what would be really good with this? From what I understand, I've never played this, but the the hero system or champions is is famously just Crunchy's GURPS, but you go back to like the earlier editions and they had it wasn't Heroes Unlimited, but it was um Justice, I think, Justice Inc. And they they had built to do the pulps, right? To do pulp heroes. They they okay. had a version of that. And that's almost and that's what Daredevils was, was built to do the pulp heroes, do the shadow and do you know, do stuff like that. And and that's I think almost that's kind of systems almost what you'd want something to do. Although this is a little bit grittier than that. But if I did call Cthulhu, I'd want to bolt on a more a little meatier system to do the the fights to, to do the because you want to have some interaction with the fights because there's a system called bootleggers a game called bootleggers that's based on the blades in the dark uh is that powered by the apocalypse type thing i, I can't yeah, remember that would work a- you you know i i can't believe i didn't think about this because i'm supposed to be running it for daniel this year gangbusters would work for this Oh, there you go. Gang and Busters does that have a good work. combat type system with it? Is it's it... kind of like it's Gangbusters is almost kind of built on Boot Hill's um, chassis. It's got some differences, but it's a lot of it's like Boot Hill. I I I, I don't remember, but I I bet it's about like Boot Hill. Or you you know what? Actually, pe- people are going to laugh because people run away screaming when you mention AD and D's unarmed combat rules. But I'm talking first edition. But you know what? I've been in groups where we played and we did a we did underground fighting in, in one one adventure. One night we we did some underground fighting it, using the melee the unarmed the pugilism and the you know, overbearing rules and all that stuff. And it actually works. It's it's just a matter of getting all your numbers straight ahead of time. Yeah, but, but we had an arena kind of thing. We were taken yeah. prisoner in an arena. Uh, this mm-hmm. was a common trope of the '80s playing D anD D, right? You'd be captured. And you'd be put in the arena and then we'd figure out, you know, and we'd have some fights. Right. And it was you couldn't escape initially. You had to figure your way in the car. We'd get a slave revolt or something that would happen. Mm -hmm. But I remember using rules that probably those rules. I don't know. You know, again, think about how we we didn't know how complicated they were in a way in that back. Then. Right. I just, you just had to learn the rules. I mean, you just did, you know, that's why when people talk about something as crunchy as role master, yeah, it was crunchy, but there were a lot. I played the dragon quest, the SPI I played all those SPI war games, right? You just had to sit there and read 20 pages or 30 pages of rules for a war game. It's a lot of rules. And, right. and, and you were looking at those rules all the time because that's how you played games. So the whole idea of, Oh, I got to go in and out of this book. For us, wasn't a big deal, but we didn't do all the elaborate role playing back then, right? It wasn't the sort of where we would sit there for an hour and not roll dice or something. That just was not how we grew up with. D&D, yeah, but, I guess. but for this game, I think you would want that because most of this, I, I think if you're running something here, I mean, obviously you're not going to exactly recreate just the movie plot, but a lot of it's going to be non-combat with, with yes, whatever you're, you're doing exactly here. right. So, so you're so when your combat happens, I don't think you'd want it to be a die roll and done. I think you'd want a more intricate subsystem to, yes. to make it exciting, and you'd have to have some, and it'd be neat to have something on the side where for the other character, like it, so you, you got the Cheney character in there fighting, and so this is going to be maybe a five or six round battle, right? Because you don't want it to go too long, but. And, and when it's done, you just say, "Oh, it's done." No, I'm kidding. I, I listened to a recent episode of, <laughs> of oh. your other show. He he does monster and treasure, folks, with Daniel <laughs> Orton. And, and but no, I, Daniel likes systems that. where he doesn't he doesn't want to more than three rounds of combat. I played at his game, and it is his system is pretty. Just I got six dice, you got five, I I win, and uh, it does move things along. You don't get those yeah. endless long, but, you know, pathfinders. Yeah, but I, I, I do battles. think you'd want you'd want to. You know, more than three rounds of if it because you're having one or two pugilism fights in, in this. So you'd want them to go a little bit, but you'd want something for the other characters to do, whether yes. it's some kind of system. And you know, Savage Worlds, you mentioned that, and Savage Worlds lets you do this. It lets you, you know, non do non-combat things that could influence the combat or maybe would do affect something after the combat. So your training or your not your training, your speed character could be talking smack or doing this on the side and maybe building up points. Or you know that you could cash in later or something. I don't know. It no, so, and then that's why yeah. I thought of that. I'm not an expert on that. I've just read through the rules, and uh, I know people that really like it. And I think it's better the GURPS to be always bogged down in. I don't know. Steve Jackson is a brilliant guy. 
But man, his games, that game is con- can get really complicated. I've heard people try to say, oh, no, no, if you just play the original rules, I'm like, I'm not so sure. You know, I just think so. Mm-hmm. Savage Worlds is definitely a modern take because it's skills and things, right? It's a big mm-hmm. part of that game and and creating your character. And, and so and that's why it's adaptable to anything, because skills are skills, right? We just yeah. we use those to navigate our world now and in any world that's ever existed. So. So that might be, but I'm not enough of an ex. I mean, I'm not, not an expert really on anything, but I'm. That's one where I, I, I would like to, to play that sometime just to see. But as you know, it's so hard to play games, right? Because you just don't have right. the time. Because I see it, and I, I'm a I fantasy grounds the software, so I'm on these fantasy ground boards, and I play a couple of games, and I see that on there all the time. But I just, I just don't have the time, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's fun. We'll have to. If nothing else, we'll we'll figure a way to do at least a game or two. It, Savage Worlds is a lot of fun. Um, I'd but, love to do that. Yeah, but folks, if if you have an idea, not for you know for 1930s without tentacles, we're not looking at having Cthulhu in the background. <laughs> no, nope. but for a, for a gritty game that lets you do good good boxing matches during that game, you know, ca- call in. Let us know what your pick would be for this movie, and go watch the movie. It's a great movie. I I give it. I can't speak for KR, but I give it two thumbs up. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it is, you know, it's, it's not uh, uh, something that the critics are going to give in the terms of their greatest movies of all cinema. It is what it is, just like Walter Hill. Uh, one of the things I admire about him, he is, he just does what he does and he does it really well. And for an occasional jolt of that, it's, it's a perfect, uh, a perfect way to spend an hour and a half. A hundred percent. So, KR, thank you so much for joining me to discuss this movie. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jason. Always love these discussions. Uh, love talking about these kind of movies. A lot of them forgotten uh, or not appreciated for what they what they represented in their era and what they can do today. So thank you so much for having me on. No, glad, glad you were able to come on. I hope you'll come back. Folks, check out all KR's things. You know, he's on YouTube. D&D Homebrew. He also has the Monsters and Treasures podcast with Daniel Norton, where they argue with each other during the whole podcast. So nah, that's not yes. true. But, We've had a few. Yep. Okay, folks. Until next time, be excellent to each other. Joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. Sure is a dustman in your moil's body zipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world's gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck